welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Hello, hello, hello. It is us, the Album Nerds, and you are listening to the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me, as always. So, Andy, what's crapping in, man? Wow. What's crapping in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what made me do that. Is that from the year 2000? It might be. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good, Ben. It's been uh, been fun kind of reliving my my glory years, I guess you could say, from 22 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Don, what's slapping in? Slapping in. Good one. <laughs> yeah, kind of the opposite of Andy. I, I kind of was revisiting a, a dark time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yes, well... I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. We will be talking about albums from the year 2000 today. But before we jump into that, I also want to let you know what else we'll be doing. We'll be answering a question. We'll be spinning the wheel of musical destiny at the end of the show to find out what kind of albums we will talk about next time. But the year 2000 is upon us. That's what I'm talking about. Well, whether you view the year 2000 as the first year of the new millennium or the last year of the previous millennium, did you guys ever participate in one of those debates? Uh, no. Okay. No, I didn't. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <laughs> it was certainly an interesting year. Uh, we managed to, to survive that Y2K scare relatively unscathed. Uh, George W. Bush defeated Al Gore in the U.S. presidential election after the Supreme Court ruled to end the recount in Florida. Uh, America Online merged with Time Warner. The first residents of the International Space Station arrived. Tiger Woods became the youngest player to win a Grand Slam in golf. The PlayStation 2 was released in Japan. And the final Peanuts comic strip was published the day after Charles Schultz passing. So was, was 2000 a good year for music? Well, let's, uh, let's talk about that. So each of us is going to uh, present an album from the year 2000. Yeah, 2000. Little, uh... A little different than I was expecting in terms of what I might find. I thought I would, I, th- I thought there was more going on than new metal and boy bands, but there wasn't much else <laughs> going on. <laughs> Those things were going on in band. full force, though. Oh yes, they were. So, guys, uh, what are your what going into this? What were your expectations? Yeah, I was kind of expecting to have more things that I felt strongly about, but. There was a handful of things, like, I don't know if you you guys feel about the Deftones, but they put out arguably their best record that year. Um, So there's that, and I don't know, you guys remember uh, Outkast was kind of at their peak in the early 2000s, that kind of Southern rap was really Mm -hmm. taking hold. Pretty good record. I like the title. Skankong, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, an album I would have done under different circumstances would be uh, Radiohead's Kid A, um, but we recently inducted OK Computer to the to the Ainhoff, so I you know I figured I'd wait on that. But I do think in the future that's that's an album I'll want to talk about, and I think it would be an interesting conversation because I have a, a feeling we all view that album a, a little bit uh, differently. Yeah, I mean, I I was working in a mall record store as was Don um, together, and oh. really familiar with what people were buying. But uh, I was always on the prowl for new bands and new music to get into. But I was this is a period where I was struggling. I was on this sort of bubble between young consumer and adult consumer, and things that were coming out were not clicking for me anymore. So it was a weird time, a dark time. Yeah, I mean, like the top selling bands at the time were like In Sync, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Limp 
Biscuit was in that mix as well. Pretty dark. Pretty dark. L-I-M-P. It's right here. What well, not the hot dog flavored water or whatever album yeah, yeah. From, that from this year too? I believe so. Well, anyway, folks, we're not going to be talking about Limp Bizkit today. So that's the good news. You. So what do we, what did we choose, fellas? You choo choo choose me? All right. Well, for my 2000 selection, going with an underground hip hop record from the group Jurassic 5. Album was entitled Quality Control. We are gonna play a little bit from the title track. Alright, so this is the first full length second studio album for the Los Angeles, California alternative hip hop group, comprised of, strangely enough, six members. Kind of assumed it was five, but there are six. <laughs> four MCs. That is very that is very misleading. I know, right? Four rappers, two DJs. The rappers were Charles Stewart, Deontay Givens, Courtney Henderson, and Mark Stewart. DJs were DJ Newmark and Cut Chemist. The group got its name from kind of an interesting little uh, story here. Supposedly they were playing one of their early cuts to a, a band member's mother, and she said, "You guys think you sound like the Fantastic Five comic books but you sound more like the jurassic five which i thought was pretty yeah. pretty funny because they, they, they do have like kind of an old school throwback sound but jurassic five has a nice ring to it yes it does and j5 jackson five, J5, that whole, yeah totally yeah. yeah my three words for this record are old school hip-hop high five because i think this record for me is largely about kind of the interplay between the, the mcs and the djs like they play off each other very well, in my opinion. And I think it adds a nice tightness and kind of complexity to the music that you don't often hear in hip-hop, especially in the 2000s. Um, so what did you guys think of this record? Well, the uh, the three words I used to describe the album were smart, comma, not pretentious. I mean, lyrically, I, I think it was... What's the, I can't think of the word. I'm trying to, um, the vocabulary. <laughs> there it is. Uh, <laughs> ironic <laughs> that I couldn't come up with the word. Uh, <laughs> the, the vocabulary that they're using is, is interesting. You know, I heard a lot of words in there that I, I didn't think I would hear in like a ghost face killer record or, or something like that. So, right. um, yeah, it was just, um, you know, I'm going to fall on that trap because I do the same thing when we, when we do jazz records, you know, so my, my knowledge is limited to basically the, the records we cover. So, you know, I'm finding myself, you know, comparing this record to the De La Soul and the Wu-Tang and, and Run DMC very much in the vein of that, that De La Soul record. You know, it's, uh, it's much smoother. It's, it's not angry. I, I think it has something to say and it's very intelligent. Um, but it's not heavy handed and it's not preachy. <laughs> yeah. So, and incidentally, um, you know, so a dude mentioned that we, we worked in a record store together. So I remember at this time, you know, lots of Jay Z and DMX and, you know, all the individual Wu Tang characters selling a lot of records and No Limit, Master P, Eminem. And I remember seeing this record there. Like I remember the, the cover, but I don't remember this, this album moving very, uh, very well no I mean so one thing I didn't mention at the top was that I did learn about hip hop at this time working at that record store we sold a lot of that stuff I hadn't heard of No Limit or any of that Jay Z I had heard of DMX I would heard of but I learned a lot and I learned a lot about the Wu-Tang Clan at that time because those guys were all releasing their solo albums in that period but this album was a big deal to the dudes that we worked with 
Uh, a lot of the guys that worked at the store were into hip hop and teaching me about the difference between hip hop and rap. Oh, well, hip hop being the artist, the you know more artistic, deeper lyrics, not just rap like. Like, I guess what we would say for pop, like, oh, this is really a rock and roll record. It's not a pop record. I think it was the same kind of distinction. Hmm. Okay. So they were all super excited for this. I heard it at the time. I did really like it and then kind of forgot about it until we looked at lists for 2000 and I was happy to see it there and I'm glad you picked it, Andy. The three words I used to describe it were intricate, alternative evolution because as Don mentioned, I certainly did think that De La Soul was probably an influence here, utilizing uh, interesting samples, mindful lyrics, and talking about the world around them without it being bleak necessarily. More about, hey, this is everyday life. And I think that can connect a little bit more sometimes with people rather than than the bad. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of music that come out with the horrible things going on, but sometimes it's just nice to get a, a slice of someone's life. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Very enjoyable. Yeah, I didn't honestly hadn't heard it probably in 15, 20 years myself. I was really impressed at how just solid every track was. For being like their first like 50-minute record, there's not really any filler here. There's a fair, there are some moments where, some instrumentals, I guess, where the DJs kind of take over. But for me, I find that almost as compelling as, as some of the, the rap tra- tracks that have vocals. Surprisingly, yes, I agree. Some of those uh, instrumentals would kick in and... I'd wait for words, but then I'm like, oh, it's okay. I don't need yeah. it. They really keep things moving. Uh, and as I said, it's very, very tight. You know, for an underground record, it sounds super professional and well-polished. Probably the only, the only like storytelling track on this record. Um, it's one of my favorites, though. It comes towards the end of the record. It's called Contribution. It's all about just like, what are you producing? What are you? What positive things are you putting into the world? You know, which is kind of give back to what the dude was saying about their really trying to like put some positivity and some quality out there into the musical space so a little bit of contribution that's one of my favorites too one thing i like about them and it also reminds me of the de la soul is is that just the the sampling is is just very creative you know so they're just using i won't pretend to know how they do it but you know they're, they're just taking like small pieces and then making Making them kind of unrecognizable and then, um, I don't know, making it into something that works, you know, again, you know, in contrast to, to some artists that just will pretty much take a whole, a, a whole section and, and just, uh, you know, kind of wrap over it or something. So they're just, you know, really interesting, uh, use of sampling, I think. Yeah. It's pretty unique to have two DJs in your, in your group. Um, they really take advantage of it. I mean, there's every sound just feels like packed to the brim with samples, like almost to the point where it's like hard to distinguish like where one is beginning and one's ending and such a mishmash of styles and, and genres and stuff. It's it's pretty cool. Actually, since we're on the topic here, I think maybe the most adventurous uh, sample-based track is is the closing cut, um, which is entitled Swing Set. A little bit of that now. Yeah, I mean, that track is all over the place in terms of styles. It does have, like, some, like, old-school swing vibe to it, but it also has, like, I don't know, it's hard to even describe without really hearing the whole thing. It's, like, five minutes, and it goes by in, like, two seconds, in my opinion. These two DJs, Newmark and Cut Chemist, are, in my opinion, some of the best, and I was 
of this of this time period um and i think they really really do shine on this record and it helps when you got really four talented mcs there too to kind of play off each other uh one thing that kind of bothered me uh, was uh you know, one of the reviews I saw, uh, maybe it might have even been in the, the Wikipedia entry. Um, it, somebody described it as, as hip hop for people who don't like hip hop. And, and that, yeah. made me, on one of those yeah, that, that made me, yeah, that made me kind of insecure. <laughs> like, uh, you know, am I, <laughs> I don't know, because I, I want to know what, what hip hop really is or something, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I don't totally get what, what that, that individual meant. I, I, I saw that too. I, I think it's about like, Maybe there's elements of this record that aren't necessarily traditional hip hop. Maybe there's some crossover with other genres. But I, I think that's what makes it interesting that the artistry of these two DJs can be just as important as the as the MCs, and I think that's not often the case. So yeah, good pick, man. Probably one of the best hip hop albums I think that I've listened to, and and so different from everything else that was out there at the time. It's happening at the time, yeah. It really stood out, and I don't know. Today, I think looking back at it, it it, it still stands up, in my opinion, um, as being not necessarily representative of the two thousands, but just of like a quality a quality hip hop record. So, I'm gonna nominate this for the Ain House Ain House Alert Album Nerds Hall of Fame nomination incoming. Warning. I'm getting itchy. <laughs> Feel the itch coming. Yeah, so I, I think this belongs in there. Um, what do you guys think? I guess my only hesitations are that we... <laughs> Revenge time! <laughs> no, is that we... I mean, we were doing things differently then, but we didn't We didn't put the De La Soul record in, which I, I, I feel weird about putting this one in before, before yeah. that one. That's true. All right, De La Soul's in too. Boom. Are we, we going to do a, a twofer? <laughs> Just like <laughs> a retroactive nomination. Yeah. Um, That's obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll vote yes, just because I, I really do think it's a, you know, it, it's one of the best hip hop records I, I've heard. And, you know, maybe it's because I don't like hip hop, but, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I definitely like this. <laughs> Never heard true hip hop. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, I say yes. I mean, when I was listening to it, Andy, I had a feeling that it was going to, be an album nerds hall of fame nominee so yeah contribution quality control lost the game swing set too with the beatboxing tap dancing stuff yeah totally i'm totally in all right well that'll do it uh put this one enshrine it forever in the uh the halls of fame but yeah let's let's know your opinion on this record too i'd love to hear it if you want to reach out on the album discord i'm curious to know if anybody else is appreciating this record as much as we are Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay, so now it is time on the program when we ask ourselves a question. We're talking about albums from the year 2000, so why not talk about some of the goofy stuff or things we remember from the year 2000? So, gentlemen, I will ask you, what do you remember from the year 2000? What sticks in your brain? Well, uh, I was a, a freshman in college, and I was just kind of introduced to the concept of high-speed internet. And just to make things interesting, they tossed in Napster into the mix and just opened up my my musical exploration possibilities before streaming was a thing. Uh, so I was all over Napster and LimeWire and all those things. Oh, my gosh. Did you guys do that at all in, at this time period? No. No. <laughs> you either? Oh, my gosh. This was like a musical revolution. I worked at a record store, dude. I bought albums. I wasn't, you know... 
I loved my artists enough to support them and take my hard-earned dollars and and buy records. Like I I was totally not down for that. Wow. Because I thought it was penny ante bullshit. I also didn't like it when uh, you know people would be like, "Oh, I made the CD and check out all these songs I have," and it'd be mislabeled. So Stone Temple Pilot song was labeled as a Nirvana song because the dum dum that uploaded it didn't know the difference. Yeah, there was a lot of that. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I had my CD burner running twenty four seven, ripping everything, and it was it was glorious for a couple of years there. Uh, that's my <laughs> I discovered so much new music that way I know it was not very supportive to the community but uh, for me that was it was pretty exciting were you at least then prompted to go to concerts for these artists or were you just taking food out of their baby's mouths <laughs> no I went to a lot of shows that time period too <laughs> um, yeah I was one of the few people that like when Lars Ulrich went off on his rant about it the yeah. drummer from Metallica I agreed <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean they're right in theory. It was just uh just this new technology made things so much more accessible and we were just basking in it. Don, what about you? Uh well I was thinking about uh, some of the movies that, that came out that year and you know, a couple of them I think were, were probably uh, appealing to, to music fans. One was uh, uh do you guys remember the movie American Psycho? Oh yeah. Great movie. Introduced a lot of people to the music of Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah, so. exactly. The <laughs> That's um true. You know, I think my favorite parts of that that film are his little monologues about these these albums, and they were artists that you know weren't considered hip at the time. So he does a big long uh, spiel about Huey Lewis and a big thing about Phil Collins, and you yeah. know those are really you know that, that those are hilarious. Now that movie took place though in the eighties, correct? Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. And then uh, also, Almost Famous came out that year, um, which was uh, you know cool story. That's uh, is that Cameron, Cameron Crowe's story, right? Yep. Um, and so that had, you know, kind of a, a cool, you know, musical journey in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the fake band Stillwater was really good, even though it was Jason yeah. Lee as the front <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I remember most besides the stuff you talked about in boy bands and TRL and that kind of thing that was going on at the time on MTV is the election mm-hmm. With yeah. uh, Bush and Gore and oh the hanging gosh. chads and, and, you know, never thought that kind of crazy shit would happen again. And then <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> I know, that doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some hanging chads is certainly better than uh, people storming the Capitol. But, you know. And Florida seems to always be, you know, one of the trouble centers. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Like, I didn't, I didn't think of that at the time. But looking back, it's like, Florida. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, it's so weird because Florida has the reputation of like, hey, let's go unwind your legs and chill out. Hey, you know, parrot head stuff. But then at the same time, they just sometimes Florida comes out swinging. Like, I'm not really sure (laughs) what to think. Florida is an interesting state. I've heard of it referred to as the penis of America, but that was from Tracy Jordan from uh, (laughs) 30 Rock. That's not me. All right, so what about y'all out there? The year 2000. What's that? What's some uh, crazy stuff you remember from that year? We'd love to know. Hit us up on the Album Nerds Discord. That's albumnerds.com slash discord. Okay, so 
the album I'm presenting is Life Will Kill Ya by Warren Zevon. This is his uh, 10th album. Born William Warren Zevon in Chicago in January 1947. Let's uh, let's get to the title track. Here's a clip of Life Will Kill Ya. Life Will Kill Ya. That's what I said. Life Will Kill Ya. So the, the three words I use to describe the album are late career masterpiece. So, you know, Warren Zevon's been around, you know, for forever. His, uh, his first album was released in like 1969. You know, he's had an interesting, but also probably uneven career. And I think, I mean, he just really hit his stride, uh, on this album. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know, whatever the magic is, you know, it's, it's really captured here. Uh, and that actually carries on. He does two more albums, uh, after this before he, uh, you know, passed away. And so, you know, he really just, he had a, a great, you know, resurgence, uh, at the end of his life. But, you know, what I appreciate about Warren's Yvonne, I, I think, is his kind of dark sense of humor. And it's a like a self-deprecating uh, sense of humor, you know, that just comes to all these songs. But at the same time, it's just, it's also just very, you know, poppy, right? It's just straightforward, um, you know, pop, you know, presented in a, in a highly digestible way. Uh, and I, I just find this, this album to be a, a pleasure uh, to listen to, um, all the way through. Uh, so, uh, wh- what do you gentlemen think? Yeah, I love this album. I remember when it came out, really digging it and, uh, being kind of surprised because I didn't know much about Warren Zevon. I don't know about you guys, but other than, uh, Werewolves of London. No way, that's Kid Rock. Oh, yeah, and his kick-ass collab with Kid Rock. Yeah, I, I hear that stupid summertime song or whatever by Kid Rock come on the radio once in a while, and every time I'm tricked, I'm fooled, I'm hoodwinked, <laughs> I'm bamboozled into believing that I'm going to hear Werewolves of London, and instead it's about drinking funny things and smoking funny things. Great rhyme, by the way, kid. Anyway... <laughs> Ooh, you make me angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got triggered. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so yes, the songs on here are funny and dark. So the three words that I chose to describe this album were old dog, new tricks. Like, I didn't know he had this in him. So when I first heard this album uh, in the record store we worked at, I think that's why I was alerted to its presence. Loved it right away and uh, haven't revisited it in a while, but I, it's great. I mean, every track is great. It's folky. It's it's not folky. I mean, this guy should have been in the Traveling Wilburys, as far as I'm concerned. He belonged in that group of guys. Um, a few years later, so in, in 2003, I have his final album, The Wind. That's That one's sad. He has friends on the album with him, and he's... Uh, dying at the time that he's recording it we only had a few years left after this one and um i'm glad i was made aware of his stuff yeah yeah i was uh i was glad to have this introduced to me as well i was new to mr zavon personally so my three words were always falling apart because that that seems to be the message i get from this record it kind of uh you know death is inescapable it's a part of part of our lives and uh we should embrace it and maybe make fun of it a little bit and i think i think that's you know, surprisingly, not a very common topic in music, at least in Western music. I think it's kind of genius the way he approaches it here with the, with the sense of humor and levity he gives the topic. Yeah, I really, I really end up liking it. 
these types of records, I guess, where they're, it's kind of like based on like a concept. It's not like a story concept, but there's a theme for sure. And it's really all about the lyrics and kind of like, can you get behind this guy's personality? I guess is, is the question whether or not you're going to appreciate it. Cause like musically, there's not a whole lot going on, but I think he's so charming and he's, he's such an interesting way of getting to this message. I, I found it pretty compelling. So yeah, I was, I was uh, pretty positive on this. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's hear another track. This is uh, from my next trick. I'll need a volunteer. I like goofy, complicated song titles, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, so that's, you know, that song's a good uh, example of his, his self-deprecating sense of humor. You know, w- one way I know that I love an album is just, you know, when it, when it's hard to, to pick the, the tracks that you want to put forth. Cause I, I really could have picked any of the, any of the, the 12. Shit's fucked up should have been yeah. right there, man. Well, we could, we could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I felt compelled to to play a, a clip of the the one cover. Um, this is the the Steve Winwood song, "Back in the High Life Again." Yeah, it's a beautiful. It's a nice cover, but Don, how did you feel like that fit in with the rest of the? I guess the death theme. Um, no, I, I thought it. I, I thought it. it, it it fit well, um, you know, because I, I, I. Ooh, <laughs> nice, nice argument. <laughs> Very compelling. I disagree. I mean, isn't it kind of about like the opposite of like you know, kind of getting your shit back together again? I guess. Yeah, but you know, I kind of see it as you know, um, you know, getting there again before it's before it's over. You know, while you still have the chance. So I think it kind of fits in, in that way thematically. Gotcha. Because this was kind of like a resurgence for his creativity in his career. You know, I don't usually gravitate to, to covers, but that, you know, reminds me of like a Johnny Cash cover. And I apologize. We always talk about Johnny Cash, but, you know, Johnny Cash just <laughs> uh, particularly late in his career, just does a great job of bringing a, a, a different feel to to songs and, and making them making them his, his own. And I, I think this is, you know, very much in that that same style. Yeah, this is uh, the cover I think is great. I think the tone of it kind of fits, you know, even when you're getting bad news from the doctor and he's telling you you're getting old and you shouldn't have smoked so much and you shouldn't have drank so much and all that kind of stuff and your shit's fucked up. Back in the high life again felt like kind of a enjoy it. Yeah, like you said, enjoy it while it lasts. Take what you've gotten and and uh, soak it all in. But I hope that some people will go listen to this record and pass it on to others because I don't think it's really well known and it should be. It's a completely enjoyable album from beginning to end on par with Bob Dylan and artists like that, Tom Petty, where I think it's worth listening to, listening to intently, and then listening to again because the first time wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a message that I think is worth hearing, if uh, especially if maybe you are getting to the point in life where you have to deal with some of the, mm-hmm. the messiness that happens towards the end. So, cool. Excellent. All right, so that is Life Will Kill You by Warren Zevon. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is Friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Want to share your musical tastes? Join us on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord, to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest topics for the show, and to find out what's happening next. All right, so in the year 2000, Garage Rock 
will have a resurgence. Whatever that really means, <laughs> garage rock. What a dumb thing to call a, a genre of music. Anyway, we're going with the Hives debut album, Veni Vidi Vicious from April of 2000. Let's listen to a little bit of the Hives Declare Guerre Nucleaire. That's uh, nuclear war in French. Or is it Guar Nuclear? <laughs> Sounds mm. better. Was that a cologne? <laughs> <laughs> it should be. <laughs> Stench of death. All right, so the hives come in wailing and banging their guitars with all their might with uh, the intro track. The three words that I used to describe this album are Swedish Punk Attack. These guys are from Sweden. They have goofy performing names, and they just come out swinging with every song on this album. Uh, Dial Right, Main Offender, it's just assaults. And, uh, you know, the one thing I didn't really consider at the time was how punky it is. I was thinking more about the jangly, early Beatles, British Invasion kind of vibe, but not that that uh, punk edge that's here. So it's kind of like if uh, Johnny Rotten were, were trying to make punk music in 1965, you know? Uh, so, fellas, thoughts on the hives, Vinnie Vidi Vicious? Um, my three words were an empty garage. Oh, because they're out on tour being super successful. Nailed it. <laughs> Jeez. Wait, what? <laughs> that's why their garage is empty, because they're out of town. Oh, I see. Right. Although the Porsche is being used. <laughs> um, that's not quite why I said that. I mean, this is a very loud, brash record. Um, but in my opinion, it's mostly just Flash. Kind of uh, packs an initial punch, but for me, it wasn't didn't really leave me feeling very satiated. No, it's a snack. It's a snack. Yeah, it's a snack. <laughs> Energy bar. It's a lunchable. <laughs> it's a cliff bar. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite as substantial as a cliff bar necessarily. Maybe it's like uh, some saltines or something like that. Some Swedish fish. Yeah. That took us 10 minutes to get to, but (laughs) (laughs) ding, 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 Don's the winner. (laughs) Not obvious at all. (laughs) So, I mean, they have like lyrically, I guess, is kind of where I guess I'm getting caught up on. on, Of course. On this. it's just kind of like vague notions of economic oppression, I guess, which is always, you know, a punk rock cornerstone, I guess I would say. And that's cool, but I just didn't get a lot out of it besides that. Uh, and musically, it's, you know, it's fast, it's loud, it's energetic. Andy, they wear matching suits that are zany and cool. So, so. I think they like they're in the, the mafia or something, or what is with that? I was really no, thrown off. I thought it was kind of like a nod to the the mid '60s, the Beatles and all those bands, even the Rolling Stones. You it's had like to wear suits. Sort of yeah, you had to wear suits when you were performing on television and stuff, and you had to match. Do you look good? But doesn't really fit with the whole garage rock aesthetic. Well, yeah, but I don't believe in the garage rock aesthetic. What the hell does that mean? I mean, a heavy metal band starts off in a garage. A polka band could start off in a garage. Like I've never well, it's just really. The name, subs- but there's this, the sound is. Uh, but compares, comparing them to the Strokes, they're nothing like yeah. the Strokes. The yeah. Strokes are a totally different kind of band. And calling that, oh, garage rock, garage rock, that's more like a Velvet Underground application to, to punk, you know? Like, so, it's but, just yeah, totally but different. But they're lumped in with those, with those groups. I mean, 
for by the worse. media, the lamestream <laughs> media. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I don't like is that made up nomenclature that clumps them together with other bands. I just think they were mm-hmm. a, a punk band with a '60s pop vibe. Done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the the three words I chose were uh, I just did polished punk revival PPR. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's what I'm talking. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I get, I get, I didn't have high expectations for it. And, um, I would say it exceeded my expectations. I mean, it just, uh, here's the, 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 the hot take. It is what it is. You know, it's just a, a straightforward, high energy, you know, punk record. Uh, and I, I, I think it, it delivers in that way. I mean, it's not breaking new ground or anything, but yeah, but it's also, I guess where it doesn't fit the, the punk rock spirit is maybe it's, it's just a, maybe a little too clean sounding. You know, the, the, the production is very, is very polished, but I mean, the energy still comes through. Um, so it still has a raw flavor to it, even though the, the production is, is polished. But yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a little more complex than like the, the early, um, you know, like sex pistols and stuff like that. I mean, there's far more chords being, <laughs> being strummed. And and, uh, you know, the music is a, a little more complex, but yeah, it's a, it's a punk record. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's good. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. All right. Well, why don't we listen to a little bit of state control and then Andy can cover his ears because the lyrics aren't meaningful enough in punk rock. I will. Uh, here we go. Yeah, they got, uh, Stray Catsy sort of stuff going on there, which Stray Cats are like a rockabilly goes eighties sort of throwback thing, and the the call and response stuff there kind of uh, just has a lot of energy. So basically, if you're looking for something that is just full of energy, you want a sugar high. That's that's what I think this album really is, and it has been for me when I need a little shot of energy. Why don't we go ahead and jump into the one sort of ballady song? that also sounds like it's kind of making fun of the genre that it's hearkening to. It's kind of making fun of a loungy crooner thing. Uh, let's check out Find Another Girl. I like the weird little keyboardy synthy thing going on in there. Um, Definitely the most interesting track sonically on the record I, I didn't see any keyboardists credited uh, on the album so i wonder if those like synth sounds are actually from uh, from a guitar because i guess you can i mean you can plug a, a guitar into a synthesizer and it's basically the, the same thing so i wonder if that's what's going on there well do you think mm-hmm. randy fitzsimmons was the one that uh did that yeah tell us about randy fitzsimmons randy fitzsimmons is like they're made up manager so on the album it says all songs written by randy fitzsimmons okay yeah i read this so he's not a real person he's not uh (laughs) randy fitzsimmons is actually nicholas arson who is uh the guitarist and nicholas arson is uh, almquist is his real last name he's brothers with pele the singer so he's the main songwriter but they made up this whole story for whatever reason about this fictional manager who writes all their songs and i actually read a review from a couple of years ago someone wrote a review of this album saying they don't even write their own songs their manager does i'm like oh yeah, my god I, I, saw that too. I, I think that i think that <laughs> bit them in the ass in some ways <laughs> It's just something. They were in their early 20s at the time. I think they just made it up for fun. Yeah, but uh, fun. I like that. So, yeah, I think they took a bunch of ingredients from punk, from early rock and roll, 
and and their style and their sound and they just kind of made like a casserole out of all this stuff and and uh it's good. I, I I really enjoy it. Go check out the hives. Veni Vidi Vicious. It's a good time. It's twenty seven minutes long, and you will enjoy that time. And uh, then you'll need to sit down and rest. <laughs> now that we've traveled back to the year two thousand, what was the experience like? I mean, I know we talked about what we thought coming in. Feel the same after. Once again, experiencing the year two thousand. I yeah, I don't know. I yeah, you know, I guess in hindsight, I was thinking it was a pretty like I had positive feelings about the year. But it was kind of a mess, I guess. And looking back at it with a more analytical eye, but honestly, probably all the years since then have been kind of a mess too. So I don't know. If it's just the beginning of the end or what? Yeah, it. And I mean, for me, it's it's also hard to kind of separate the year from kind of where I was in life at that time. And I, I think maybe it, it ha- happens to everybody, but I guess as you're in, as you're in your twenties, maybe you feel a little more alienated from pop culture or pop culture becomes less about you or something. So it's hard to separate myself from that idea, but I, I'm happy. I, I, you know, got to hear these albums. Um, I wish I was a more open-minded individual at the time and I, I could have experienced Jurassic five, you know, when they were going at it, you know, I knew about the, the vines, no, the hives, I'm sorry. That's the, that's the thing. Like, yeah. So there was all those groups at the time and they all, they all kind of sounded the same to me. So I'm, I'm glad I finally actually got a chance, um, you know, to, to listen to, to that record. Cause, cause I did enjoy it. I should probably go back and, you know, listen to, you know, some of those other, other groups. My perspective changed a lot on just music in general and what my expectations are and what it does for me. It doesn't have to uh, make me think about life like Pearl Jam might. It just has, it has to do something. And the hives just makes me feel good for 30 minutes. So I think my perspective on music in general had allowed me to to look back at 2000 with a whole different set of eyes and expectations. So it was cool. It was fun. And um, I probably should have picked in sync, no strings attached. <laughs> and that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, it's that time again to uh, check in with our lovely AI bot to see uh, what our destiny holds in store. Um, by the way, we are wrapping up Voting on the AI bot's name here. You want to get your last second. Hanging chads. Get that. Get those chads punched all the way through on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord, as well as the Album Nerds website, albumnerds.com. Uh, you can do so, but try and do so by the end of this week so we can uh, tally them all up and finally, finally give a name to this illustrious bot that has been deciding our fate. But without any further ado, let's give that wheel a spin. Your musical destiny is to explore albums by members of the Traveling Wilburys. No. Wow. <laughs> it's going to be... Okay. The Traveling Wilburys, I guess, would be albums by any member of the Traveling Wilburys. It doesn't have to be a Traveling Wilburys album. It could be Tom Petty. It could be Roy Orbison again. <laughs> George Harrison. And, and, you know, I think any... Uh, Jeff Lynn. Bob Who else Dylan. Is in it? Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan. I think any associated bands that they were in are, are fair game as well. Fair enough. Okay. 
Who's your favorite member of the Traveling Wilburys? What's your favorite album from the year 2000? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can also email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next week with some traveling webubbas. With some traveling wheelberries. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And now, deep thoughts by the professor. Enjoy every sandwich. W- Warren Zevon's uh, last interview on the the Late Show uh, with David Letterman. You know, while while he was dying, you know, he gave that advice: enjoy every sandwich. So, I like that. So it, like that. With a bummer. That sounds like a deep thoughts to me. <laughs> yeah, right.